HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring the intersection between food, agriculture, and competition. Learn how a chicken raising contest in the 1940s led to the poultry industry we have today. And they were going to run a contest and try and develop what they would call the chicken tomorrow. We'll also venture into the world of agricultural video games, where a new set of tractors is making a lot of fans happy. The biggest addition to 19 was the John Deere's. That's what everyone was hyped for. And we pay a visit to a group of Indian restaurants that aren't on the friendliest of terms. Usually they wait for my restaurant, but after a long wait, they go to next door or downstairs. But this is how they do business. They completely copy whatever we do. Embrace your competitive spirit and be the first to listen to new Meet and 3 episodes by subscribing now. That's Meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. I'm the other host, Greg Bresnitz, driving from Rain Parish or near Rain Parish back to Lafayette, Louisiana on the eve of my wedding. Yes, and this episode is going to air on the, what is the day after? Tomorrow. The day after tomorrow, the 7th, April 7th. April 7th, after your wed. We just sat down with Anthony, who's second generation, and Meg, who's third generation, of Hawk's Crawfish. Yeah, we went down a dirt road and a gravel road to no road and got the whole history and evolution of crawfish. And what I could easily say is the epicenter of the current crawfish boom. Yeah, I would say that these people are responsible for clean crawfish. And thus... Well, pop Okay. Popularizing clean crawfish. Yes. And uh, we are going into the archives. We're pulling from one of our favorite bands, X Cops. Shout out to, to the Williamsburg, Williamsburg music singing, right? Sure. Sure. Uh, okay. Well, here we go. Sit back, relax, as we dig into some crawfish here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, Snacky Tunes. Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. I'm the other half your host, Greg Bresnitz. And we are coming from officially the middle of nowhere. Down a dirt road. Gravel, then paved. Then dirt. Gra- then, then dirt. dirt. Uh, in between two lakes where the crawfish reside. And we are at Hawks. We have Anthony and Meg. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Um, so first question, how did we wind up here? And by we, I mean you guys. Uh, how do you pick a restaurant to be in this beautiful backcountry? In 1974, I think it was, my dad built this little small building because at, at that time, this was an a, a all-field community, a lot of all-field activity. And this was a kind of a hangout for all the rig workers, and they would have suppers, and they cook plate lunches and stuff. It was very small. And uh, over time, uh, the building was already here when the oil field went bust in the, I think, 1980 or 81. Uh, the building was vacant. Mm. So about that time, me and my father, 
both raising crawfish. And it's, it's not like it was today. It's hardly nobody ate crawfish. Now the whole country's eating crawfish. I mean, crawfish was never considered a popular thing to eat until the 90s, right? Uh, like, correct. Right? So set the scene for us in the early 80s. Yeah, like, what's who, it like? Who was eating it or, or how was it? It was just local people. Yeah. Uh, a few of them were sent to around the New Orleans area. Sure. Very few sent to around the Houston area. But at that time, we were, we had hundreds and hundreds of acres of crawfish. And we were raising crawfish for a cash flow because it was in the farming industry. So because of that, uh, I was selling crawfish, huge crawfish, large, beautiful, yeah. for 17 cents a pound. And, and <laughs> what, is it, what is it now? Oh, my God. Uh, about four cents a pound. Four cents a pound. Right. Uh, but back then, couldn't even get rid of them at 17 cents. So since we already had the building here, my dad had decided that we were going to open up a little cafe-type restaurant just for crawfish, to try to move some of our better crawfish. Sure. Right right as we were kind of renovating and building tables and stuff, somebody had told him, he had heard through the grapevine, that Texas A&M University had devised a system that would clean crawfish. So he was very intrigued with this. So we, we called the university and the guy that was in charge of that department told us that he would meet us over there on a Saturday morning and give us a tour of their facility hmm. so we, we went and uh, and it was small it was about eight feet long by four foot wide and they were purging some crawfish cleaning the crawfish and this was a tank right yeah yeah with aerated a little aerated in there and as we as we looked at it we got the general concept of what they were trying to do and how long it would take. So when we came back over here, we had that in mind and we just built a much bigger facility. Right. Huge facility that could handle thousands of pounds of crawfish. Because how are crawfish, just quickly, how are they grown? How were they grown back then? Or how did you raise them? Okay. Uh, it's a cycle. Uh, Crawfish, the reason they raise a lot of crawfish in this area is because of the rice industry. Uh, after, the, after they harvest the rice, the leftover hay, or stubble as we call it, becomes crawfish food the following year. Mm. Crawfish food is decaying plant matter. That's what they live on. So this leftover rice stubble, this hay, I should say, in the field, was just wasted. It was just there. So by raising crawfish, the alternating crawfish and rice, the crawfish have a food supply and the land gets to rest a year before they plant rice in it again. Got it. That's why they rotate. So before that you had the purging system, was crawfish which is too time consuming or was it just, it was too hard to clean them? Or was it dirtier? Than yeah, it's much dirtier. Yeah. Nobody wanted to eat it because they didn't <laughs> taste good. Right. right. Nobody wanted to eat that. That's <laughs> mud bugs. Yeah, yeah. Mud, so, yeah. mud bugs. Not, not the uh, crawfish that <laughs> right. we're used to today, right? Right. So it comes from the, you know, when they're, they're literally would be in your ditch, you know? And so that's how kind of crawfish started. We're in ditches and, and in your ponds or whatever. Yeah. If you had rice ponds or, or rice fields. And so as it got more and more popular, and then I'm pretty sure my grandfather and my dad made it as popular as today. People would try to copy the purging system. Right. You know, like you got people like, oh, look, I'm purging these crawfish in this ice chest with this water. Nope. No. Oh, I'm going to throw some salt in there. What? Yeah. So you're already cooking your crawfish. Right. People... So so how soon was it from when you 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 began you built this place you got the purging system? When did things begin to kind of represent the modern day crawfish? The very first night we opened. Well, okay, so it's the 1983. About 1983. 1983. Uh, no cell phones, no internet, no Instagram, no nothing. How did people find this place? Word of mouth. We never did advertise. Yeah, just word of mouth, and people would call. Because the, the, from the very first night that we opened, there were lines outside 
because nobody had eaten clean crawfish before. Mm. This was new to the whole area. And they were huge and they were clean. And so when you say huge, are, they, are you talking about like langoustine huge? Like when you think- Five to a pound. Five to a pound? Oh my God. And what was that? And so now they're not as big anymore because everyone's eating them so quickly? Because right. I imagine that those old ones right. are, they're older, right? They've right. been around for longer? Well, what large crawfish comes from any type, any type you, you raise any type of animal or creature on virgin ground, it's gonna grow and, and supersede everything else. And that, over time, it gets back down to what it's supposed to be. Uh, anytime you raise a crop on virgin land, you always make a way better yield. The size of the crawfish, no different. They were bigger, huge, they were huge. So over the years, over the, like the next 20 years, crawfish were huge because it was always finding new ground, virgin land, Different people were getting involved because there was a cash flow for the farmers. So now everything's saturated now. Now it's, you don't have as much big crawfish anymore. Mm. But uh, we still do because we grade them. We, we kind of hand select them. We kind of pick and choose pretty hard. This is our, this is our business. So, so 1983 happens. First night of success. What are the next... How five does it, years, what ten does years. Five, ten years look like, and, and how do things begin to change in the surrounding area? We've added on five times. That was all done in the first 12 years. Mm. Uh, when you walk in here, look at, I tell everybody, look at the floor. Every different color tile on the floor is an add-on because the old tile was discontinued, so we had to find a different color tile. <laughs> So basically, if you look at the floor, it tells the whole story. It's like the rings of a tree, right? right. Just the color yeah. of the tile. So when did you start seeing people from outside of Louisiana, Texas, showing up here? When did the rest probably, of the world start catching on about probably crawfish? Probably about the second or third year. Okay. Uh, like I said, the first year was local people. And uh, after that, word kind of spread out. And, and then we'd get visitors from other areas. Uh Nobody had, as far as the lines, till this day we still have lines outside. Last Sunday we had a line to the road before we unlocked the door. Mm. I mean, and it's a big place. Oh, yeah. It's like almost 200 seats. Correct. So, okay. for, for people who don't, so from not being from here, you know, when I was driving down uh, with my fiance, uh, you know, I saw all the huts and everything. And I was like, can we go there? They're like, oh, it's not season yet. It's not season yet. For, and for, for us from New York and for Los Angeles, you can get crawfish year-round. So for, for those who are uneducated, can you educate them about when is crawfish season, like what precipitates it, like right. what makes for good crawfish season, what's the range of it, just right. for people who don't understand that it's not Let something Let me ask you this. When you say you get crawfish year-round. No, no, no. No. Greg says he gets crawfish No, no. Year there round. are restaurants. There are restaurants. That serve ball that, crawfish No, yeah, round? but they, it's frozen. Right. No, no, that's no, what no, it is. That, that's, that's what I'm about to say. Okay, so that's no, not... No, no, no. But, yeah. that's what, but that's what I'm saying. You, so if you, you don't... can get... No, yeah, crawfish year round. What is that called? Parboiled or whatever? Yeah, it's parboiled. Yeah. So it's like, for, it's like, sure, there's like, you know, there's a place uh, in New York called La Silla that like you can get crawfish year round, Szechuan crawfish year round. It's obviously, you know, frozen in vast quantities right. and they always yeah. have it. But it's here, it, it's, you know, please explain. Please, please educate us as I have now been educated. Okay. The crawfish industry originated here because of our climate and the soil. They have tried in other areas of the country, but it won't work because that, that's basically why this is rice country. Mm. There's a hard pan underneath the topsoil, so it holds water. It does, it's not sandy, so it don't just drain oh. right through. So other places have tried it. Arkansas, for instance, raises a lot of rice. They have a hard pan, but their climate is different than ours. It's drier, and it, it's a little too cold in the wintertime. They have too long of winters. That's why South Louisiana, this is, that's why it's so popular over here and it's such a big industry over here. And so it starts around the beginning of the year, February. Right. Some people have it in November, but that's going to be some little bitty peanut crawfish. You're not going to want to eat that. Over the years, the farming industry has changed some and has affected the crawfish industry. Uh, used to have a lot of crawfish that were caught, harvested in December late November and December. Now it's pushed back to January because of the farming practices. 
They uh, they don't reflood the fields till later. They've done a lot of studies and they've learned that uh, the farmers can benefit more in the long run if they wait and flood at a later date than than we did back in the early days. It was like days. August, for the rice. Yeah, the rice. rice. We used to they used to flood the ponds in August. We used to dry rice, right. and as, so as back then. Right after we'd harvest rice, we'd start yeah. flooding for crawfish. Yeah. But the, the, all the local universities have done studies and they figured out that if you wait and flood, like in late October instead of August, you, you, the harvest is much better, more quantity in the springtime than before. So that's why a lot of farmers do it. So with the shifting environment and what's going on and seasons and things like that have you seen an effect on crawfish you know with hurricanes coming in and different storms no, no, no. none of that's affected it no uh the freezes do the yeah the drought does right yeah. so the Some weather does yeah. so yeah i guess maybe if not the hurricanes but the shifting and weather patterns and how do you uh, adjust for that the <laughs> there's a lot to be said about the environment so we're gonna be, tough. Yeah, but we're going to be, there is, obviously, global warming does exist. No, it doesn't. See? <laughs> oh, okay. All right. That's why he's like, life. no, and I'm like, mm, okay. yes. No. Well, we'll leave it at that. All right, we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to pull a song from the archives, and then we're going to come back uh, with Anthony Meg of Hawk's Crawfish uh, here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Dad's been shucking dozens since 42. Iron tub ice down full of false staff brew. Black had a son, Bobby Charles called Blue. Catholic church bells told the Louisiana blues. Oyster rake scraping down Grand Highway. Don't get no more salty than Barataria Bay. A hundred years my family's done it this way. Some folks call it work, but it's just another day. And in life there's always love Comes into your heart from up above Gather my dreams and put them out to sea Gulf Stream and I'm free Politicians, trappers, priests, and more They've all strolled through these double French doors I was so busy just trying to keep their glasses full Folks laughing, drinking, just shooting the bull Vermilion Parish sunsets across my bow Just slipped off the edge and I don't know how I turn the key in the lock and close up shop I will flies round the old steeple's clock and in life there's always love Comes into your heart from up above Gather my dreams and put them out to sea Gulf Stream and I'm free
neon light gently taps me on the shoulder And the ice in the glass melts under the whiskey that I pour The salt in the air from the storm off the coast As I pull from my glass and offer up this toast It's been a good run, it's been a good haul My nets are full, time to pull in my trawl Mes amis, ma famille, especial pour mon père Que tes filets soient pleins de fruits de mer And in life there's always love Comes into your heart from up above Gather my dreams and put them out to sea Gulf Stream and now I'm free Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are with Anthony, second generation, Meg, third generation of Hawks Crawfish. Let's let's talk about yeah. how the third generation get in there. So grandpa and dad are crawfishing. Hawks is on its fifth expansion. When do you? <laughs> it's on its fifth tile pattern. <laughs> fifth tile pattern. When do you step into the picture? And was did you always feel that there was crawfish in your future, or was it oh. something that you like left and Luke, my, all daughter. my birthday parties were over here? We'd have like little parties. I, mean, and I want to have my birthday parties here. We're so talking we, about a wedding here, right? Yeah. So we we um you know we used to have a jukebox and a pool table back there and a cigarette machine, and then my grandfather would literally sit at this right here at this bar and. My dad would be running around a lot. My grandfather just kind of, you know, he was a good delegator. Um, that's a good way to put it. Um, but anyway, I started out hustling people at the pool hall. Then I got old enough to go make drinks, then bus tables. Then I started waitressing. Mm. And I'm all in college at this point. She worked her way up? I worked my way up, you know? I mean, that's a good uh, say. It's like, is that I know the... the First generation and the second generation, and I still have to work my way up. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. no. Look, I have to wait. If I come here with some friends or just my wife, I have to put my name down and take a number. Just like everybody else. <laughs> just like everybody else. There's, there's no back door. The only thing I get is I don't pay for my meal at the end. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> right. Hey, okay. that's good, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that's... But so when did you... I started bowling in my backyard. Okay. All right. So I started bowling in my backyard for festival private private, private bowls and kind of same recipes, same, same, same recipe, process, same everything. Kind of hone my own skills. And about the fifth or sixth year, I was like, man, people really love this. I should come in and like ask dad if I can create this business. So was the was the boil your boils were separate down? Was it just you got skills from, or would you ask for tips or like it's something you had to prove on your own? I had to prove it on my own. And did you, give her, did you give her any secrets, any tips? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He told me what, how, you know, put the seasoning in after you put the crawfish in or it's going to overflow. Mm. You know? Yeah, there was... Yeah, there was definitely some direction. All, all the basics were laid down. Yeah. And she just went from there. So you you laid out the puzzle pieces and you knew what the final puzzle picture looked like right. and you had to put it together sure, yourself. It together. How Correct. many was it, would you say that it was numbers of boils or number of seasons? Like you like did a season then you took it off and you thought about it or like how many boils until you felt that like you got to a good place? I just kept having people say, man, you should do this. Yeah. Like at these boils. It kept getting bigger and bigger every year. And so finally... I, I had started the bike shop, and it was year two of the bike shop. It was 2015. Name of the, box, the bike shop? It's Hub City Cycles. Downtown Lafayette. Downtown Lafayette. Across from Park Sans Souci. You Great can't location. miss this. It's yeah. awesome. And you, uh, ship, you ship those bikes? I do ship those mm-hmm. bikes. Oh, they expand. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so 2015 arises, and I go to my dad, and I started. I had a business plan. I, I proposed to him, and I was like, this is what I want to do. And he was like, okay, go ahead, do it. First year, I had a flatbed trailer, mm. and he let me borrow his flatbed trailer. You know how hard that was to load up everything on that trailer, get the crawfish in the back of the truck, then at the end of the bar, after you worked for five or six hours, load it back all up, then get to your house and unload it all again? 
Very it hard. Wash, yeah. it wash it clean. It was a nightmare. Yeah, because yeah. you got to be on that, right? For washing, cleaning, and oh, making yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. So anytime you food with seafood, yeah. you have to clean it. Cleanliness, yeah. and that's that's why our business is so good. We're so clean. Yeah. Right. Because it starts from a cleaner product, right? right. So, well, well, like, so, so give us the evolution. So it was a flatbed okay. truck. So flatbed truck. So second year, 2016, my dad's like, here we're going to, it's time. I was like, okay, we did it. He's like, you did a great job. We were, we were successful. I think we did like 10 boils. What were, what were you looking for? Yeah, and how did you know that she'd achieved crop? Now that she's done it, you can tell us what the internal dad guidelines were. I've never heard. I was, she's an entrepreneur. I was waiting to see if she would still be interested the following year. Mm. If, if she, if she, if it's still in her heart, and it was, it definitely was. In fact, she wanted to expand on it. So that's when I jumped in as well. We grew from here. Were you nervous that it might have been just like a flight of fancy or easy because the family name came right, with it? So right. you could like like trade on the family name. You want to make sure that it was like a deep right. commitment. Now look, I created a logo. I, I love got on the website. I tried to you know business cards like so I brought things to the table as well. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. you know, I didn't just show up and be like, all right, I'm gonna take your crawfish and your name and I'm running. Yeah, and, and no, I'm like, here, look, let me give you this awesome website. Look at this logo that I've, like, I had a, you know, a paid to get designed, you know, yeah, like. She's great. And, <laughs> and I mean, I brought it to the next level, you know. So, I'm Hawks Bowl Up LLC, he's Hawks. You so, know, like, we got our own entity here. So uh, second year. We're not on the same bill. So I'll buy my crawfish from just so like So when he else. comes to a boil, does he have to pay at the end? He, he's only, I don't think he's ever been one more. He's been to one of my boils. Time doesn't permit it. I yeah. haven't, I'll pay. <laughs> <laughs> this is my wife, Jennifer. Uh, and so she made the awesome bread pudding that uh, we're so eating. Good. It's yeah. so good. She, she bakes and cooks here just about all day. That had to fail it. Phenomenal. Yeah. So 2016, you go from flatbed to what? I got a full-fledged, awesome double axle trailer with brakes, in, enclosed trailer. Oh, okay. Okay, and so I still have my burner. I still boil on site. I don't like to do boils that are too big. We haven't gotten to that. We keep talking about it. We're going to get us a big rig and kind of start doing with the crank crawfish and you go and do thousands of pounds. We just don't know if our season, like, we definitely want to keep the product as is. Mm, you yeah. know, I think you lose some of your stuff. People, you can tell when you go to a restaurant how clean their crawfish too is. It's commercialized. It's too commercial, but how spicy it is. If you can't eat four crawfish before your nose is running and your eyes are watering and you can't drink enough water, that means their crawfish is dirty. dirty. I did not I, know that. I had that happen to me earlier this week, I'll tell uh, you off. Uh -huh. like, well, and that's like, it. I was like suffering. I was like, is, You is, should be able to, you know how people cook food and, you, and then they're like, they're trying to camouflage Correct. the Because oh, it's nasty, y'all. If you that's look at the bottom things. of the purging tanks, yeah. after we purge and clean, because we clean out our purging tanks just as yeah. you know, often, we got to clean it all up, you would be appalled. So you would never eat dirty crawfish again. So um, you know, <laughs> crawfish is seasonal, right? Correct. So it's a couple months of the year. Some seasons are longer than other. What do you and then also all of the other crawfish people and all the, the shacks and the places do on the off season to maintain financially? What do you how do you keep the lights on during the off season? Well, I don't know about that. most of everybody else is in a different industry. This is more or less a, a side uh, business. It's part-time. Uh, personally, I have some cattle. I take care of a lot of different, uh, we have rental properties and stuff that I do. And we pick up cans on side the road. <laughs> <laughs> we do what we gotta do, guys, right? Because right do around October. Do what you gotta do. October. I also do pressure washing. No, yeah. I'm <laughs> But I mean, it's a, I imagine that it drives tourism and people come down here and you have people come to restaurants, but it's gotta be a little bit tougher uh, during the off season. I think for some people, that's why they close every year. They think they can do it. They think it's gonna be easy. They see how busy that we are or that other people are. Yeah. And so they'll, they'll just open up a shop and they'll spend way too much money on it. And guess what happens? It fails the first, you don't see that same hut. You see a different name on that hood, yeah. right? And yeah. so for me, like I have a bicycle shop. So actually the bicycle business is up and down too, right? It's a small business. So actually the crawfish helps sustain the bike shop. Right, because the, the right? bike shop is like summer, spring. Right, seasonal as well. Seasonal, and then the crawfish is like winter, yeah. fall. Takes care more. of it, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so when, when people get into this game, and obviously like the barrier to entry for growing it, how like what, just to start growing your crawfish and how, and you say you buy your crawfish like anybody else. Do you buy from here those fields out there as yours or like? No, no. So my dad has, we have different people that we buy from, different farmers. Yeah. 
And so every day they'll bring their crawfish and we put them in the purging tanks and then we sort through them after the, the purging process is over. It's between 24, 36, 48 hours, just depending, you know, and they rotate them. And then, so I come and buy his purge crawfish and I have to negotiate with him. He's a hard businessman. <laughs> in fact, we, we butt heads a lot, him and I, we, but we love, we have one thing that my dad and I have in common is that we got a big heart and we love each other. And my stepmom, we're family, like every Wednesday and Thursday, it's just the three of us here. And what we do is, We'll have lunch together every Wednesday and Thursday. We talk about what's going on in our lives. You got to keep that going. You know how people like that say they're in family business, it's crazy? Yeah. Yeah. That's because they're not communicating. Yeah. You got to say what's going on. And sometimes, you know, it's hard for some of us, you know, but we get through it. <laughs> I'm just like, Dad, this is business. There's no emotion in business. It's like there's no crying in baseball. Oh, yeah. You know? And after he tells her that, she'll call later to Dad, you were right. I'm yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah, you got to think about it. It's a long drive back to Latvia, you know? There's a lot of, lot of, lot lot of, of pavement to think. Not a lot of cell phone service either. Uh, so <laughs> in, from the from the 80s until now, I mean, what have you seen that's, that's been changed? Or what have you seen that, that's really kind of like the, the, the crawfish, like, game or industry and I know you said the growing season but like about the businesses you said it was saturated it has it gone too far away like what is the current state of affairs in 2019 actually the whole country is eating crawfish now mm -hmm. and they have to come from here so demand has gotten greater and greater and greater to the point where they can't can't hardly produce any more crawfish than what we're producing now it's a limited industry the, the supply is limited but the 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 whole country, the the, 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 the demand is so great now that uh, it, that's why we're paying more for crawfish. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, you know, it's 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 really it's hard for it, these little small places because they're paying at a higher price, but they're not going as far as everyone else. Like you know, that crawfish is following the same path as the lobster. Mm. Lobster used to only be for poor people to eat. Yeah, prison food. Right, and now it, it has evolved to only. Wealthy people can afford to eat lobster on a regular basis. Same crawfish, same way. Like I said, when I jumped in, when we started this, seventeen cents a pound, and I think that was the last year it ever got to seventeen cents. From then on, it's been uphill all the way. And why do you think that has happened? Demand. Demand. No, but what? I mean, what's been driving the demand for the crawfish? More and more people started eating them. Whereas back in the early, when we first started. It was only local people that ate crawfish. The rest of the country didn't even know what that was. They were they using it for fish bait or whatever. Uh, and as people started eating and, and, and things started growing and uh, tourists would come through. But once they ate them, they loved them, they'd go back to wherever they were. They wanted crawfish. Uh, first thing you know, in the, in the early 90s, I think it was, now 1990, uh, I actually delivered, I was delivering some live crawfish to around the Daytona Beach area, Cocoa Beach, Florida area. Uh, local restaurants that would, that tried. And I'd go teach them how to cook them and everything. And I quit doing it after the second year because it was, it was too far. Yeah. Uh, my business here was suffering. I had to stay going too long. So I, I erased that that thought since then that part of the country is eating crawfish now and mm. a lot of my friends have taken on the responsibility of delivering crawfish in those areas and, and marketing them I don't because I don't have the time but it's, that's just one area some of my other friends have gone to Atlanta, Georgia, Nashville uh, North Carolina all over uh, last year, the week before Easter, I got a phone call from a Chamber of Commerce in there's a little small town, I, I don't remember the name of the town, in California, Southern California, and they wanted to order 8,000 pounds to be delivered two weekends later, that was the Sign weekend after Easter, <laughs> because the little town wanted to have a crawfish, crawfish festival. Huh, I guess it's just to put in perspective. How many pounds of crawfish do you go through on a busy night? Or a lot. A lot? Yeah. Like a lot like in the thousands? I'm about the half. I'm half of what he does. So like we we'll, we actually text each other at night. 
he's like, he's always like, how you did? And I'll tell him, and he's always double what I did. So I think that together we're doing pretty well. Trade secrets. So I mean, I was just up in upstate New York, and they were doing a crawfish boil. You know, it's not like they're getting it. There's not like a, a crawfish Woodstock farm. It's right. coming from here. But there are crawfish up we, there. We have, I've actually seen some of the. Uh, the people on like the, the, the cooking channels, the cook, cooking networks, yeah. try to boil crawfish. Oh and, man! And, they, and they're raw. They butcher them all up. Is crap, you know, like, but at least they the whole country's watching and kind of taking on the taking on this this notion that they are edible and they're good and. Oh, they're great. So, um, are there tips without giving away any trade secrets? Uh, a few things that people always do wrong that you could just share and say like, oh yeah, just do these all things. day long. Okay, that well, time? Yeah, all right. Instead of the wrong, let's things. do. Let's try. Okay. So I'll say two things and then you say two things. Okay. okay. Great. All right. So I think this new this soaking, people want to soak their crawfish. We're gonna we're gonna ball them, and then we're gonna turn the ball off and let them sit there. And then after we're gonna let them sit there for thirty minutes, sometimes to an hour. We're gonna take them out and then throw ice on them. Now you go. <laughs> don't do that don't do that people no, no. Uh, take the crawfish and pour salt on them and purge them with salt and all they're doing is killing the crawfish crawfish is a freshwater crustacean they can't live in salt water so they kill them before they, they kill them, them right before they cook them and it makes them spit up what they have in their mouth that's not the part that you're eating you're eating what's on the south end the poop tail. If you want to get clean, not the esophagus. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we clean it from the inside out. That's why it takes two days. It's a two-day process. And has crawfish gotten to the point where people are passing off imitation crawfish yet? Like, like, oh, like crab? No, yeah, yeah, no, no, I don't think that's ever no, not, We're not there yet. No, <laughs> but boo, boo, whoever does that, they're gonna be rich. Uh, well, listen, we want to thank you. If people want to come find you, visit you, uh, just or follow along from the other side of the country, how can they? Check us out on hawkscrawfish.com. That Hawks website. Hawks fake foot page. Hawks ball up. That's a, uh, me. How far <laughs> will you travel? Oh, I'll, hey, we can talk about it. I'll go as far <laughs> as you can. Okay. As, long as, far as, as, your, as far as your wallet can go, I guess. Okay. Uh, okay. We, uh, we actually have people that come see us from all over the world. Yeah. We had somebody from Australia last night. I had someone from uh, France last night. Somebody flew in from New York. Last weekend, yes. just to come eat crawfish. I mean, listen. I will say that I have been obsessed from afar since that New York Times article came out, mm-hmm. and just said, "This is these are the people who are doing the real thing," mm-hmm. and it's awesome. And we thank you for sitting down with us and looking forward to tonight. Yeah, yeah looking yeah. forward to tonight. <laughs> I'll be bowling for you on a little bit. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, we have another song from the archives, and then a live band here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
My name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Dana Cowan, and I'm the host of Speaking Broadly here on HRN. Every week, I conduct intimate interviews with the brilliant, powerful women in the food world. We discuss their lives, their careers, and the ways in which they navigate the world at large. You can find Speaking Broadly wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. We are very excited to have uh, ex-cops in the house, or one half of ex-cops yeah. in the house. Uh, why don't we do the uh, Around the Horn, say who you are, what you play, what you do. I'm a Brian. What's your sign? Brian, I'm a Capricorn. Nice. Uh, I play guitar and sing in the band. Uh, I'm Leaf. I play bass, and I'm a Cancer. Ooh. Do you two get along? I don't know if those signs match up. We do get along. Yeah. yeah, and we've yeah. got along for years, actually. Because yeah, yeah. I feel like being in a band with someone is one step sexually removed from dating them. Yeah. And Ish. sometimes... Ish. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely... Breakups in bands oh. are w- actually worse than romantic relationships. Way, way worse. I would say male friend breakups are the worst type of breakups. <laughs> but the makeup jams are the best. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you guys got back together and didn't even do a makeup jam? <laughs> uh, tell me about X-Cops. Um, What's the story? It's a project that's about uh, a year and a half, maybe two years tops old. Uh, me and my friend Dan Shapiro started uh, to do some demos in a small room in Bushwick, uh, Really dismal area right near the Woodhole Hospital. <laughs> oh, that area is it's the worst. It's just the worst. So all we did was just kind of hold up and record these demos. And uh, it started from a hobby and become like a thing. And uh, got a band together and uh, soon to turn into a five-piece thing that was doing an album and was recording on a record label. And who are the other members that are here? Shout them out. Uh, uh, Amelie Brune. Uh, she sings with me. Uh, she's going to start playing keyboard soon. Uh, is she going to get that uh, affected keyboard singer girl band look thing going on? Uh, she hasn't. Oh, she's I th- done? Yeah, I think that's already done. That's already. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm just making that's sure. That's a prerequisite. <laughs> that's in the bag, yeah. Okay. It's very stereo lab. And then um, uh, Kai Kennedy on guitar. Okay. Sam Bear on drums. Amazing. Yeah. It's, a, it's a really cool lineup. Like, we. And the those guys have all essentially been the band of ex-cops yeah. si- since the very beginning. And, and the whole band has known each other for about eight years yeah. to three years. Do you find that friendship adds to the tightness of the band? Yeah, Def- completely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. You guys can just go out and have beers and play and doesn't feel like even work? Um, well, I think there's just yeah, a rapport between everybody that is, uh, I don't know, conducive to being able to, yeah, play a show together and look We've, over and you have, you're having fun, you know? We definitely had guys who were not old friends in the band just kind of not the same mm. do you find that it's uh, the reference points are not there or, th- or th- something like that for music and other things and other cultural influences I think, I think there's also well there's also like an implicit trust you know like mm. you're, you're standing on stage with somebody you want to know that they have your back um, I think if they're a friend of yours then it, you, you feel that more than, yeah. than if they're not you know yeah. So you guys have been around for a year and a half, and uh, what's the uh, what are the shows like? You know, what do you guys got? Uh, we just played a pretty sick show at the Seaport uh, last week. Saw the photos, looking good. Yeah, great uh, venue. Night before it burnt down, almost. I was there for the fire. <laughs> yeah. Were you really? It was. It looked a lot more terrifying than I read about. It was the biggest fire I've seen of something that wasn't supposed to be on fire. Whoa. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the best, and we talked. about about this last week was the guy the first response is actually a guy on a jet ski, ski who was doing donuts trying to get water up on the <laughs> thing but the fact that it was wood you know all of a sudden you start seeing these flames shooting out from yeah. underneath it's not just above like yeah, the whole it thing really it crazy. was crazy yeah and like uh, a dipping dots right in the middle of it I think that, isn't that what caught on fire was it the machine that was like the rumor but I think it was like a, some wire but I like it better that way yeah dipping dots caught on fire um, so you were playing the the amazing longstanding great, yeah, festival. Great, great to play a big stage with actual good sound guys. Um, yeah, They're the fun. best. Those guys I'm doing for years. Super guy, super nice guys. Maybe maybe the best sounding stage we'd ever yeah. been on. Yeah, they're incredible. And what could someone expect from a, a live X Cop show? Um, I guess we try to sound like the record, but it comes out sounding a bit more. Um, I hate the word bandy. Mm. I guess because like well, most of our recordings are kind of like lo-fi. They're, okay. they're, you know, yeah. they're all. I, I, I think you know, not to 
toot our own horn, but I think I think that everybody's a, you know a serious player. So mm. there's a there's a real dynamic on stage yeah. that um, I think is also captured on the record. But there's some bands that you see live and you could uh, just as easily sit at home with the album. You of know? course, yeah, the, the, and I, I think that's not true. Which was like definitely our first few shows. Yeah, d- yeah, totally. Like really kind of bad, but uh, we got into that point where it's pretty solid. Huh? All right, well, let's hear it. Let's hear how solid it is. Mm. Put you right on the spot. Here we go. X Cops live on Snacky Tunes. What's the first song? This is called Separated. It's on the new album that's coming out pretty soon. I thought you were letting me take a solo. I was yeah, like, oh, cool. yeah. Little Word. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Awesome. Uh, so, to put a pause on the band for a second, uh, let's talk a little bit about Donna. Yeah. And the restaurant that happens uh, that you're part of, um, your owner. Yeah. And tell us all about it. Uh, well, I've been, I've been bartending for several years, uh, basically to pay the bills while I was pursuing music. And uh, it got to a point in time where I decided... Uh, I didn't want to do it for other people, and I had come up with a concept that I thought was strong enough to pursue on my own. And I found a space that I totally fell in love with um, in an area that I thought needed something like that. Um, and that, what area is that? South Williamsburg. Okay. What's uh, the address? It's 27 Broadway. Okay. Uh, right at the corner of Dunham Place, which is like mm-hmm. one of the smallest street, streets in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, I was bartending at Marlowe and Sons, which is right down the street there on Love Broadway. That place. Yeah, which is an amazing place. Institution, if you will. Definitely, definitely. And pioneers in, on mm-hmm. the south side. Um, and I would get off of work, and there was nowhere to get a good drink or um, a good drink or a bite to eat. Um, that and then, wasn't at the place you just worked at. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and plus they close at like, you know, 12, 1230. Right. Um, it's a restaurant, it's not, it's not a bar, it's not, it doesn't go late night. Um, and then the bars that were available to, to me in the community, I thought, 
to an extent, there's that, there's like a snobbishness that comes with the classic mm-hmm. cocktail thing mm-hmm. that I think is, uh, I don't know, I think it's kind of played out, you know. And I think if you walk up to a bar, you should be able to get a beer and a shot, especially in Brooklyn, you know. And, yeah. Or a well-made Manhattan, and that's what of I course. wanted to pursue. It's the, it's the high-low and the uh, low-brow. Exactly, yeah, but, but both, not middle-brow. Like, it's both high and low. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, that middle, that's, the middling is where the bad stuff exactly, is. Exactly, yeah. And so uh, Jessica Wilson used to be a prune of Ochi. That's correct. She's yeah. your chef. That's right, yeah. And, I'm sorry, I'm eating pizza. <laughs> it's too delicious. So, if I remember correctly, uh, you had a dream about Donna, right? I did, yeah. I, had a, I was originally going to name it something else, and then um, that name got stolen by another business. What was it? Pilgrims. I was going to name it Pilgrims. Oh, yeah. And then uh, that surf shop opened up on Wythe and oh, North right. 3rd, and right, I was right, like, right. well, back to the drawing board. Um, and then I had this Back dr- to the surfboard. Yeah, totally. Uh, I had this dream that I was walking down the street um, towards the bar and, and Donna was on the sign outside of it. And then I walked inside and I woke up and I felt really happy about that. And hmm. I, didn't, I didn't know why. And then I, you know, I started that week. I had a couple of like weird, uh, there's like weird synchronicity with it. So I was like, uh, I rewatched La Bamba and the song Oh Donna came on and I was like, huh. Too, too many signs. <laughs> and, and then and then I was talking to some guy and he and I was saying uh, you know I think I want to call it Donna and he's like oh that's that's really cool and I was like why is that cool he's like because Donna means woman in Italian and I was like that's the done name. yeah but it's not Italian food though is no, it no it's not no no it's Central American cuisine <laughs> right 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 um, let's just we're gonna talk about one quick dish and we'll get back to the song yeah. pig face terrine yeah 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 go on so okay so pig face terrine is is actually akin to what you know what people refer to like as head cheese right. but it's a less gelatinous version of that so we actually do get whole heads of pig in house brine them and uh, and then cook down cook the meat down and then and create terrines you know which is the shape of uh, it's a pate it's basically like a a, a rough pate um, and the flavor is incredible and, and generally with you know those who are meat eaters uh, and enjoy you know that off cuts of meat you're going to find a lot of flavor in the exteriors the extremities of animals so face and feet and tails um tend to have the most um the most concentrated flavors of those animals like you know oxtail pig's feet and that kind of stuff love it good good bar bites yeah great great bar food you know all right well let's rip another song yeah what do we got you all set with the power chord or the the chord i just just won't move an inch at all yeah awesome um this is uh you want to do the millionaire? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, All right, here um, we go. X Cops yeah. Live. Remember why it's sad. 
The, uh, the mythical sound effect. Uh, so what do you guys got coming up? Uh, I know you got the album, right? Album, uh, September 25th. Uh, a show at Mercury Lounge on July 26th. That's with, this Thursday. Yeah, with um, Eternal Summers. They're a great band. And um, hopefully touring pretty soon. Amazing. Where are you going to go on tour? Um, or where do you want to go on tour? Where I want to go on tour, uh, well, hopefully Japan. Uh, I'd love to tour uh, France. Just go to France. <laughs> go to France. Yep. What do you guys uh, being friends and all that into food? What's your uh, eating plan on the road? Uh, it's a tough thing. Like we actually talked about that. It's um, it's hard to eat well on the road. Um, well, in the states. In the states, yeah. It's brutal. It's good in the wintertime because you can get a cooler. Yeah. yeah. And everything kind of stays. But uh, in the summertime, it's like, unfortunately, there's some subway trips. Well, you know I mean, mean, the irony of it is that when you're touring in the middle of America, you'll be in smack dab in the middle of a farm and the only food you have access to is like a truck stop or a McDonald's. I know. And you're like, what's wrong with this picture? Yeah. Everything. Yeah, it's broken. <laughs> this whole thing is broken. Where do you guys source your food uh, for Donna? We, we get all of our uh, meats from Hudson's, uh, Hudson Valley Small Farm Meats upstate and then the produce comes from uh, local farmers that Jessica has relationships with and has had relationships with for a long time. We're doing like all of our in-house like pickling of vegetables and all those kind of things. She's awesome with veggies. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. It's so good. Yeah. But yeah, that's always the... Uh... There should be a blog, right? About like touring bands and places to eat. Oh, to- totally. You know, I would say we've interviewed quite a few bands and I don't know how to say this. Unfortunately, it's almost always the same answer. Which is, nah. Yeah. You know. No, it's it's horrible. it's it's. You know, I I know that uh, there is like a network, and I know that like vegetarians and vegans have a really good insiders tip mm-hmm. and things like that of of where to eat. But for the most part, in America, I have yet to be blown away by some story that wasn't either this promoter whose house we're staying at. But nobody's like, oh, and I mean, you know, if you're there for enough time, you can go to different places. Like, obviously, if you came to play in New York and you had enough time, Lower East Side, Brooklyn, no matter what, yeah. you know, if playing Music Hall Williamsburg, just dip on down to Donna's, right? Yeah, totally. But for the most part, it's just sort of crap. Yeah, I mean, on the, on the road road, like, you're going to have to just eat, like, bagels and stuff yeah. like that. But I mean, like, it, hopefully if you get to a town, there's usually a place you can find that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it depends. You know, and sometimes you get lucky. You get, like, Lawrence, Kansas has amazing food for whatever reason. They have a really cool... Well, I guess really? there's a college. Yeah, huh. yeah, like... University of Kentucky is in there, right? That's, that's right. The uh, Jayhawks. And, and they were, you know... I, I think that's what it, it comes down to there being a pocket of people who are interested in good food for there to be yeah. outlets for it. I mean, that's the one benefit of playing in Europe, one of the bigger benefits, that the venue usually has a meal for you or the promoter. It's really much more mixed in. Yeah, and it's New York. I mean, within, yeah. you know, within a, a few blocks, you're going to find something. You're going to find something. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's better than getting Punjabi totally. before? Totally. Well, maybe not right well, before you play. I would say before. <laughs> maybe after you yeah. play, then you go get Punjabi yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty heavy. Yeah. And then uh, what do you guys got coming up for the restaurant the rest of summer? I know you guys started doing brunch. Yeah, we started doing brunch. We just did our first weekend of brunch, which was, uh, which was really awesome. The space itself you know, has this kind of uh, Spanish colonial vibe and a lot of like white walls. And so opening the space to people in the daytime was... <laughs> really fun for us and Jessica's menu is really really impressive she's uh, pulled out a couple of items that um, I thought were really creative and, and interesting like an oxtail sloppy joe mm. uh, which is incredible I want that uh, right now yeah, yeah. It's, it's really it's really good and then uh, you know like baked eggs and, and other other kind of like standards um, we're doing like a, a pre-fee $18 gets you couple of poached eggs, some Papa's Bravas, which is our version of like a roasted potato. Love them. Yeah. Well, my, I would say one of the best uh, tapas dish out there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and we do, do ours a, a little bit differently. They're all actually whole baby potatoes mm. um, that are then smashed on the plancha. 
yeah. um, and seasoned. And uh, and then you get a side, uh, you know, there's like a, a series of sides. And I'm assuming a drink is in there somewhere. You get coffee or tea and then a Bloody Mary, which How's is your Bloody Mary? incredible. Yeah? Yeah, totally incredible. All right, let's take me through that, then we'll rip we, out one last song. We got, you know, I mean, it has the, the, all the usual suspects of like a Worcestershire <laughs> and, uh, you know tomato juice um but then we have uh fresh pressed ginger inside of mm. it um at more lime juice than you would see in a traditional recipe um and then uh ancho chili uh smashed into it um mm. so it's it's it, which gives you actually a little bit of sweetness and spice yeah it's a little bit of smokiness i would imagine exactly as well. yeah yeah you still have the uh, the shot and the meat thing oh yeah the, the amazing beef and bourbon uh shot which is Basically, we took the beef and bourbon cocktail and deconstructed it, so you get like a cube of seared beef, a shot of whiskey, and then a consomme on the side. And it's very manly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then you automatically grow a couple of uh, hairs yeah. on your chest. Yeah. Right? Actually, you actually, that's you actually automatic do. beard. <laughs> automatic beard. That's when you you know you're going out on Saturday night. You need to get that beard up to totally to full up form. to snuff. Just in case. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't you give us the nuts and bolts of uh, X Cops and Donna? Uh, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. Um. On Twitter, uh, I'm pretty sure it's just XCOPS with, with the no space. Um, yeah, and Facebook, I'm pretty sure it's the same. And uh, XCOPSBand.com is a website, but uh, we really are more active on Twitter. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Donna is DonnaBKLYN.com. And same thing, Facebook and Twitter. Just find us at DonnaBKLYN. That's the handle for both. Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks Jessica, having us. thank you so much as well. And uh, stay tuned. We'll be back next week in full force with I Have No Idea because I don't have the schedule in front of me. <laughs> shout out to Roberta. Shout out to Heritage. Looking forward to the uh, Roberta's Tiki Disco dance party this week, which oh, is going to yeah. be... Yeah. It's noon to midnight. I'm not going to be there for the whole Rockaway? time. Rockaway? No, here. Oh. They do their block party out on uh, on Moore Street. Nice. Oh, cool. I'm art. I'm already I'm already tired. Yeah, <laughs> I'll see if I can do that. And then the uh, House of House Bird Watchers on uh, on Sunday at uh, uh, K and G Williamsburg, if you will. Um, what's the last song you take us out with? Uh, you are a lion. I am a lamb. Awesome. Well, here we go. X Cops live with Snacky Tunes. We will see you next week. We talk about food, we talk about music.
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without the support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.